This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week is a big fan of Enterprise, Tommy Kraft. Tommy, how are you doing? I'm lovely. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Very, very busy over here in Tokyo at the moment, but there's always time to talk about Enterprise, right? I actually, I like to think that no matter what's going on, there's always time to talk about Enterprise. Definitely. Well, you spend all your time immersed in the Enterprise world. I do. When, I, when I'm when i working on my, my film project, Horizon, it's like I'm either working all day watching Horizon, or maybe I'll take a break to watch an episode of Enterprise, or as I often do, I'll come on here to talk about Enterprise, which forces me to usually watch an episode anyway, as recap. So yeah, Enterprise is, is my thing. And when you finally decide to go to bed, do you do you pull out an Enterprise novel to read as well? <laughs> I don't, actually, because I have such a hard time reading. Because by the end of the day, I've, I've spent so much time doing Enterprise, like I can't barely keep my eyes open. <laughs> right. So, unfortunately, I don't dream about Enterprise, though. I don't know why. That's good. That's good. Well, today we're going to talk about a really detailed topic here on the show. We're going to talk about the Zindi Aquatics specifically the Zindi Aquatics. And it just popped in my head right now. I know you have that 3D printer, which you're using to create some of the props for the film. Have you ever tried to 3D print a Zindi Aquatic? You know, I actually haven't, but that's not a bad idea now that you mention it. I'd like to know how it turns out. Yeah, that would actually be a really hard thing to print, I would Uh think. It might be. You could even, in fact, they make flexible filament for printers. So you could print it out of a flexible filament so your Zindi Aquatic can be squishy and, you know, uh, like a fish. Okay. So there you go. I'll, I'll have to get around to trying that someday in all the free time I don't have. <laughs> so that means that when you get really stressed working, you can print your own little stress toy, little squeezy toy, right? That's a good, that is actually a good idea. I'm going to go try that too. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. I'm full of great 3D printing ideas, apparently. Yeah, we should start a business. Well, let's talk about the aquatics here. There are just a few points that we're going to cover today, getting really specific. Uh, first, of course, is to provide a background to the Zindi aquatics. They're one of the six original Zindi species. And of course, the avians are extinct. So now there are five remaining species. And I've always felt that the aquatics are the most unique of those five remaining species. 
the insectoids, of course, are very unique, but they're still humanoid in form. You know, they're still walking around just like everybody else. Whereas the aquatics are, are living in water and therefore their entire worldview has to be different from the other four races. Yeah, I would imagine so. I would imagine that everything, uh, an approach to living in from in every aspect would be completely different than the other races because just the difference of living under an ocean would mm-hmm. and how do you form a relationship or any sort of uh communication or an alliance with other species especially early on in your evolutionary path when you don't have the technology you know what? What? What would we think if we went down to the ocean and and we found fish that try to talk to us? I don't know. Like how how would that work? It would be a very unique experience. And at the same time, you know, maybe not fish per se, but mammals and dolphins. Maybe they've been trying to talk to us for years and years now. Right. That's true. And we and we just don't understand their language mm-hmm. as we don't have a universal translator like Hoshi. Right. And we can't figure out what it is they're actually saying or if they're switching to sonar for their past tense. Right. <laughs> Just like the Zindi Aquatics here. Yeah. So it is interesting to me, too, because I, you know, I mean, I don't know how complex the thoughts of aquatic intelligent species are like dolphins, but it's quite obvious that that's a very structured communication and language and there seems to be you know they they work together and they teach each other there's definitely something going on there yeah there i mean there definitely is and as as we've seen that uh we have to make sure too that like you know we keep them all around so the uh um so the orb thing doesn't oh, yeah. uh, kill us well, all aside from the fact that it's just you know it's not nice to kill the whales and the dolphins right but, yeah. uh, we have to be prepared know. when that whale probe arrives yeah it's bad <laughs> news bears so the the zindi aquatics they live in water and there are you know creatively they made some differences here i don't know if you make much of the differences or not the females are larger than the males the females have rough skin and the males have smooth skin and the females are not as slim as males, that almost feels like to me just sort of kind of reversing what we typically think of in terms of humans, the difference between males and females. You know, females typically are, they have smooth skin, they're more petite on average than males, and it's almost just like flipping that around in this case, just to give us something different. Well, it's also really interesting, too, from a filmmaking standpoint, because it shows how much thought goes into this kind of thing mm-hmm. during the pre-production process. I, It's very easy to look at a script and, where it says you have three Zindi Aquatics in the tank or something like that, mm-hmm. and then just have three generic models of these fish-like creatures in a tank and go with that. But you have then the producers and designers who are thinking, well, let's, how can we vary this? How can we make it more visually interesting, even if it's something that the viewer isn't going to outright notice unless they're looking for it? And so they do these little things where they even give an apparent difference between the sexes. I mm-hmm. think it's a, it's, it's a testament to the, to the attention to detail these people had. 
Right, right. Another bit of that detail is the fact that females had more humanoid-looking faces than the males did, and the males had these more rounded faces. And to be honest, this is something that in the first run, certainly, I never really paid attention to or picked up on. And going back on Blu-ray, you know, you can see the detail a little bit more. Does that add something to the story for you? Does it add some level of believability or diversity or your ability to connect with them as this unusual alien working together with, say, like when they have Archer on the ship, for example, and they're communicating? Not typically. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a viewer, I didn't even notice a lot of these things offhand mm-hmm. unless I went through looking for them. Mm-hmm. As a filmmaker, it's the kind of thing I would definitely be thinking about because I think it's usually the kind of thing that you kind of pick up on subconsciously and that you you just notice that there's a slight difference. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it would really lend that much to the overall story to the average viewer. What about the fact that the faces are somewhat humanoid? They actually feel more like turtles to me yeah. than than humanoid, but they're definitely not fish or dolphins or whales. They're not that type of face. When you have cases where they do communicate with the council or when they communicate with Archer, does that make a difference? If if they had just been dolphins swimming up and trying to communicate with him, even if the intelligence level were the same, does does that aspect of the creative make the story work for you or maybe it wouldn't otherwise? I think in some ways, especially because we like to anthropomorphize everything, so yeah. it almost kind of makes sense that we have to have these, in, in terms of any way, our alien creatures in the TV show so that our audience can connect with them. We kind of want them to have these recognizable-ish faces. Mm-hmm. There is, I think if it had been just dolphins, as you said, or some kind of normal-looking fish, it would have certainly carried a different impression and would have been less believable as this alien species that could build all these great ships and weapons Mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely something to that with that kind of design element in terms of making it believable and making it a character you can connect to. Also with their bodies, and this is something we'll talk about a little bit more later when we talk about their technology, but their, their hind limbs were fins, and then, of course, they had tails so they can swim. But their forelimbs were sort of like arms, and they had three fingers. And then they had claws, which were maybe more like fingernails than, than what we normally think of as claws. But they did sort of have these two arms on the front that they could use to manipulate things the way that we would. Yeah, I think that's necessary for any kind of species that would need to build anything. Because if you have you ever tried to like do anything with your hands but without your even without even your thumb? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really difficult. I've tried to and, do things with my left hand, my actual right. entire left hand and I'm not very good at that <laughs> depending yeah. on what how complicated uh, the the precision of what I'm trying to do is. Basically, all it's good for is if you like need to 
assist your right hand in picking up a heavy box. Otherwise, right. it's just. But <laughs> that's kind of how I am. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so. I think you. I don't know if this was intentional on the part of the people who came up with the designs, but I think any species that would evolve to build any sort of technology would need actual limbs with actual, yeah, yeah. some kind of actual fingers and hands. See, beyond that for me, and this is probably my human bias here or inability to imagine how it would work, even three fingers seems difficult because the importance of the opposable thumb seems like something that now maybe if you had three finger if you had four digits and you had a thumb an opposable thumb and only three fingers right that might work but if you don't have an opposable thumb i find it hard to see how you would build the types of technologies that the zindi aquatics have yeah, it, I, it's actually kind of ridiculous how important the frickin' thumb mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it is possible, too, that the aquatics had help building their technology from the other races. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe they made these alliances. Maybe the aquatics are really one of the smarter races, mm-hmm. but they lacked the physical implementation to build the advanced technology and the other races helped them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a possibility mm-hmm. too, but at least they have a a leg up with having, uh, maybe not a leg up in this case. A uh, fin a, up. Yeah, a fin yeah. up in this case with, <laughs> yeah. uh, with having some kind of hand, something that they can latch onto instead of just like a dolphin fin that's basically good for paddling in water. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's... It also just makes them more like or more easy to connect with too as a viewer because oh, it's something definitely. else that we can latch onto as a right. human characteristic. Yeah, and they're not the only aliens we've ever seen in Star Trek that have that don't have, you know, four fingers and a thumb. And if you go back to TOS, you got the fact that the Telderites actually had kind of a hoof that you that's yeah you didn't see an Enterprise. And I can't remember if it was you and me talking about this or someone else, but we were talking about iPhones on Telar and how you have to buy the <laughs> Apple Care because you const- you are constantly breaking that screen with your hoof. Yeah, that would I could see that definitely be a problem. <laughs> I would also imagine that their phones, their iPhones, would be much larger because you'd wind right. up fat hoofing everything. Yeah, like the, these little X's to dismiss things that we have in yeah. iOS seven. That's not going to fly on no, Telar, and I don't think it would fly with the Zindi Aquatics either. Well, their their digits on their hands, for lack of a better term, aren't mm-hmm. that big, so they might have some kind of fine precision control. Okay, with well, them, maybe so. About the maybe they're one of the smarter races. The novelization of the Expanse said that the Aquatics were the first Zindi race to gain intelligence. What do you make of that? I think. That's an interesting choice, especially because we tend to uh, fictionalize the intelligence of dolphins and whales a lot. That's Mm -hmm. not to say they're not intelligent, but it is the subject of much storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think the author was clearly thinking in that vein that maybe on Zendis, there was some sort of event in the ocean that... uh, allowed natural selection to act in such a way that the aquatics were able to gain some sort of consciousness first. 
with, you know, I've heard theories with humans that there's a lot of theories. One of them is that the size of the jaw muscles changed, which allowed more space in the brain cavity for a brain. Mm -hmm. There's other theories like sexual selection theories that uh, the females began to prefer men that were smarter and funnier and capable of doing more with their brains, which is an interesting theory too. So if we apply that to the aquatics, what kind of natural selection or even artificial selection type event could cause them to gain intelligence first? I don't know. It's fun to think about. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. And in other science fiction, too, you see things like, well, of course, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy, in So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, the dolphins left because they knew the Earth was going to be destroyed. <laughs> which is a humorous one, but on a serious one, in uh, Manifold Time, which is a really great novel by Stephen Baxter, there is a squid that they use to pilot a spaceship. And now this squid is genetically engineered, but uh, it's named Sheena. And it's another case where you see, um, from time to time in science fiction, this idea that aquatic species have a higher level of intelligence and also uh, maybe because of their navigation skills. Well, well, there's cetacean ops as well. I mean, even Enterprise D has cetacean ops, which we never saw. We hear them mention it on the PA system in yesterday's Enterprise where they page someone to report to cetacean ops. And then Diane Duane actually used it in Dark Mirror, the, the Mirror Universe TNG novel that she did. Yeah, uh, it's I, well, I think it's because going back to everything has to be human biased on our own planet. We tend to see that aquatic life forms next to humans seem to have the most intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so it it makes sense then to start positing when we read our space stories that the same thing might occur in another system. In, on another planet right and maybe things changed just slightly on that planet that allowed the 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 water-based life to become even more intelligent mm-hmm. and it's definitely uh fertile water for storytelling um i didn't know that thing about cetacean ops and the enterprise d i actually never caught that before oh really yeah, yeah I, I think most people don't know about it because they never show it and it's just kind of mentioned here and there my first encounter with it was actually in Diane Duane's book. And then if you if you do listen closely in yesterday's Enterprise, you will hear them page to Cetacean Ops. What do they actually use it for? It's for navigation. They're like, I think they're wells, actually. And they're supposed to be really, really good at navigating in a three-dimensional space. Interesting. And they and mm-hmm. they use they use the whales to to assist with their navigation in outer space? Right, yeah, yeah. And and I guess they're linked to the computer somehow. Yeah, something like that. Well, let's talk about with the Zindi Aquatics, one of their characteristics beyond the physical characteristics, which really contrasts with the other Zindi, especially with the reptilians and the insectoids, and which I also think is really important for the story, is that they're really, really patient. Like they overanalyze things and they take a really long time to make a decision. In the council, Degra says, 
It is easier to count the stars in the sky than for an aquatic to come to a decision. Yeah, I. it's an interesting storytelling device because essentially what they're doing is it's it's a pretty common device where you have, say, four or five characters and you set them all up as archetypes. Mm-hmm. And I think they're doing the same thing here, except they're setting those archetypes up as specific races of people. And interestingly enough, it, I think it turns out to be the primates that wind up being the ones that are the most balanced between being patient and thinking things through and being aggressive and not thinking things through, which is also what humans tend to do, what Mm -hmm. humans have that balance. And even what Saval says about humans in season four, what he tells Admiral Forrest that of all the races that they've met, humans are the only ones that, that seem to have the best balance of logic and emotion, something Mm -hmm. like that. Right. And so I think the archetype here for the aquatics is, interesting that uh that they're so patient especially if they were the first to gain intelligence which is kind of interesting to uh to play those two together they were the first but they're also really slow at making decisions from a storytelling standpoint it makes it interesting as kind of this additional uh voice that you don't really know which way they're going to swing you know pretty well Mm -hmm. which way the insectoids and the reptilians are yeah. are going to come down on any issue. Right. And so you then find yourself, it's it's left up to the indecisive one, as always. It's, uh, it's you know, it's instead of the, the 12 angry men, it's the six angry Zindi. And, mm-hmm. and you have to get that last one to make their decision. Creates a lot of tension. How important do you think this is to the story? Because I've always thought that from a human perspective, thank goodness the Zindi Aquatics can't make up their mind on anything because I don't think that Archer and the Enterprise crew would have been successful if the Zindi Aquatics were more decisive. Yeah, no, I agree because they would have definitely been blown out of the sky and the weapon would have been sent to Earth and that would have been it. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that Archer gets them to be more decisive. He gets them to start making decisions, and he brings them on his side to help fight the uh, to fight the insect or the insectoids and the reptilians. Mm-hmm. And that also shows it's a good platform to show what a good captain Archer is, in that he's able to take these people who are otherwise so indecisive and unwilling to come to a strict decision and make them choose. And it frustrated the hell out of the rest of the council, right? Yeah, it did. It was especially, I think, more so than the others, especially the insectoids and the reptilians. Oh, because yeah. they were like, just come on, let's just get this over with. Let's go blow these guys up, and then we can go out for drinks. I mean, I suppose you're probably drinking anyway. But, uh, you know, they, they just wanted to get it over with. Mm-hmm. And, it was, and then you have the other ones who are more balanced, but they're not going to be as forceful about it. If we go to this idea that the Zindi Aquatics were the first Zindi to gain intelligence, and of course we don't know how far back that goes, and maybe how long they had intelligence before the other species became intelligent themselves, 
it also strikes me sometimes as them being wiser than the other Zindi. Like they're actually analyzing all the possibilities. Maybe they've had experience, and of course the experience of the Civil War and having to relocate to another planet, that they want to make wise decisions, and so they just don't want to rush into anything. Yeah, I think they're a lot like Vulcans in that sense. Um, they're yeah, a lot well, like water Vulcans. Okay, <laughs> Essentially, it. <laughs> it's like, a, because we see this issue with how the Vulcans tended to hold humans back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it took a very long time for humans to, to finally step out of the shadow of the Vulcans. And then in terms of their other decision making, everything is very much held back. Everything is reserved for logic. It's just a logical choice. And I think the aquatics are a lot like that. And it's also worth noting, too, that it's hard to define what gaining intelligence means. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we go back into our own human history, where, where do we define a point in in the evolutionary line of where did humans gain intelligence? And because uh, there's clearly other intelligent species on the planet, and so by intelligence, do we mean consciousness or a level of intelligence where it's not just consciousness, but we're actively building a large scale civilization? It's mm-hmm. it's a very hard question to answer. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because I was just thinking about, yeah, what would those definitions really be if you wanted to make a definitive definition? And, and you really, I think it's difficult to do so. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Now, building technologies, obviously, that's a sign that you've gained intelligence. And the aquatics have some interesting technology. It's It always struck me as being somewhat surprising i suppose that amongst the zindi starships that the aquatics had the largest and most powerful ships and and by large i mean the nx01 fit inside the aft cargo hold on the aquatic <laughs> ship so it's a really enormous ship yeah i i would suspect that maybe part of that could be just how much space you need for water Mm-hmm. Um, to live in, and but, they need room to swim around, right? Right. I mean, because I mean, you wouldn't be able to move around. It's different than it would be with a humanoid species, because I wouldn't think they would even have corridors. Probably I would not, think yeah. the inside of their ship they might have divided areas or rooms, but it would probably be much more like a wide open space. Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, it, it makes a lot more sense just to have like this huge vessel where you could essentially put an ocean in it Mm -hmm. and if we go with the idea that they were the first to gain intelligence it makes the sense that they're it makes sense that their ships are the largest and most powerful Mm. but it still comes back to what we talked about earlier with their arms and their three fingers and such how do they build these starships i mean just speculating as someone who writes stories how would you address that in a story to give a reasonable explanation as to how a species like this could build those ships that we see, apart from having help from the others? I mean, is that the only explanation? No, I mean, there's a couple of ways. We do have prosthetic limbs that we use even for ourselves. Maybe they have some sort of device that allows them to interact on a tactile level more mm, efficiently. That's a good, good idea. Mm-hmm. 
there could be some sort of it could be a lot of machine based things and they communicate with the machines via their sonar or some sort of neural link i mean that's mm-hmm. getting really advanced technology mm-hmm. but uh there's also would, would, would that all be technology in the past tense if it's sonar well i mean they could theoretically build a, <laughs> well, right i get what you're saying <laughs> past tense yeah um yeah. They there's also what if I mean it would involve the help of the others, but what if they were the first to gain intelligence so they subjugated some of the other races? Yeah, see I was thinking about that earlier when you mentioned getting help from the other races. I was I was picturing them doing that. Right. Instead of like an act of trade, they actively like somehow subjugated the other races uh-huh. and were like, Okay, right. you're gonna build this stuff for us or else. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure how you would enforce that if you live underwater. Mm-hmm. Um and Maybe you could cause a big wave or something. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, there, it's it's definitely a challenge. But, I, they, but they clearly have some sort of construction method for building ships underwater, which is, I think, why we see the Zindi weapon being constructed underwater. And, and that's on Azadi Prime as well, which is a planet that the aquatics colonized. Right, yeah. And... Um, it isn't clear either because you see a lot of underwater vessels there as well. And it isn't clear if those vessels are manned by other Zindi or if they're manned by aquatics, which at first might not make much sense for an underwater being to man a vessel underwater, but it could be some sort of tool to help them build. I mean, after all, mm-hmm. we don't live underwater, but we still get in forklifts and right. cranes mm-hmm. and so on well or cars i mean it right, could be yeah. a way for them to just move around faster you, than swimming like i have to picture this is the thing too with the aquatics is we we don't see great cities like zindi aquatic cities but it feels like if you're building starships and you're building technologies like another thing they invented was the biometric hologram and right. they use that. Uh, we, we see it where they're showing displays of the human biology, but also they use it to train surgeons. And this type of technology, if you're building this, I can't imagine that as a species, you're just roaming around the oceans. Like there, right, there must true. be cities where, where you would live. And so maybe those underwater ships are a way for them to move around the planet more quickly. And to be fair, we don't really see any others in these cities either from any of the right. other races. Right. So... It, but it's, it it's easy to assume that they exist for primates, right. for example. Yeah, and I would, I guess, I I had assumed that they had some sort of Atlantis there as well. Yeah, seems that way. Well, any more thoughts on their technology? Uh, not really, other than what we've discussed in regards to how they would actually interact with it. I think it's yeah. something that's interesting for for further speculation and stories. And it, it, it might even, it, it's get, gotten me thinking about it. it might be something I, I might write a story about myself at some point. Ah, all right. So this was it. The next thing after Horizon. <laughs> this, well, wait. The next thing after Horizon and the Kirshara story and then Zindi Aquatics. It all started here on Warp 5. That's right. And so <laughs> now we can come back to this someday. <laughs> someday. And you can have bragging rights. <laughs> 
All right. Well, that that's pretty much it for the Zindi Aquatics. You know, we don't know that much about them, but they are there. And it's interesting to speculate on what it means to be an aquatic species, especially when you're interacting with primates and sloths and <laughs> insectoids and reptiles, where they're arboreals, I guess, right? Not They're not called right. sloths, but arboreals when you're interacting with them and you all have a, a common uh, genetic origin. You know, one other thing they did that was, was cool is they have that little flap. Right. The flaps on their face, just like the uh, rest of the Zindi do, which was, um, I think it's an obvious creative touch that you have to be aware of that as you're creating this. But it is nice that they did include that so that we know that there is a, a shared evolutionary path for all of these Zindi. Well, it all goes back to this thing of, of what what do you want to do as a storyteller? And unfortunately, in a, either a 42-minute TV show or an hour and a half or two-hour movie, there's just so much that you don't have time to explicitly show or tell. And so you're always thinking of ways that you can sort of kind of hint at these story elements but you don't actually have time for it. So I think the designers did a really great job in this in unifying the Zindi races and little bits of their appearance. And with the design aesthetics, as we talked about earlier, of the aquatics and what may have been the thought process going into that. Because it's clear that even when you just begin outlining the stories, you know you're not going to really have time to go in depth on all these races. And so then as the executive producers, you have this goal of thinking, well, how can I still bring flesh these out, even though I don't have time to, to talk about it that much? And so I think that was done really well in this case. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, well, Tommy, before you go, you, well, you were just here last week. So yeah. uh, do you have any new updates since then? And tell people where they can find you and also find out more about Horizon. Well, uh, the main places are StarTrekHorizon.com or Facebook.com slash ST Horizon or just type Star Trek Horizon in your Facebook search bar. It's an Enterprise-era movie, as we discuss, a feature film over two hours long. I should say it will be when it's finished. And we're gearing up to release a new trailer soon. It'll be like uh, your typical full-length trailer, two, two and a half minutes. And it should really give people some good information and tidbits to chew on for our anticipated release of this winter. So if you're interested... Uh, check us out and uh, and let us know what you think. All right. Anticipated release this winter. It's coming soon. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just, you said that and I'm thinking it's the end of August. So that, that's going to, that time is going to fly by. Oh yeah. I, well, I was originally thinking I wanted, I would still like to do December, mm-hmm. but I, I've tried to be a little more realistic and say winter, which gives winter. me some leeway. Yeah. Do it the Apple way. When does winter actually end, right? <laughs> Whenever I want it to. <laughs> if Apple uh, if Apple says something's coming out in the summer, you can bet it's probably going to be the very last official day of summer, not right. what we think of as summer. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's why I'm giving myself the seasonal window here. Yeah, good idea. Good idea. 
All right. Well, thanks again, Tommy, as always, for dropping by. Thank you for having me. I love being here. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our discussion of Zindi Aquatics today here on Warp 5, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network over the past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Everything that we do has to exist inside of this little box. This and, window, yeah, if you will. Right. And you can you can do whatever you want inside there, but once you step outside, you know, it's the real world. Earl Grey. That's, you know what I mean? And then Star Trek V is all about crapping all over the rest of the movies that just came out. <laughs> Axonar, the official podcast. When you're in the edit bay, as soon as you put one image next to another, it's this instant gratification. It's this great creative jolt which happens every time you start juxtaposing your images and when you start seeing things fall into place, it's it's really galvanizing and it's really thrilling, actually. And I love feeding off that kind of, of energy. The Ready Room. Well, you know, time is not really linear, Char. So the monkey, he's always been there and he always will be. <laughs> I take the Janeway stance on time travel. It gives me a headache. The Orb. Batman also creates a contingency plan for all the other superheroes just in case something goes wrong with them. So, it So what does he do for the Wonder Twins, for example? Like how's he going to take them out if Um, I think he just separates them eternally so they okay. can't smack their hands together. To the journey. We have like a whole bunch of geek aliens like they're wearing their own superhero t-shirts. They're eating <laughs> hot pockets. They have headphones oh on and they're all in their own little, you know, 24th century room. But they're like, dude, dude, I totally just pwned the Voyager. Commentary, Trek stars. And underlines the goal of Prexy Gail Berman to re-energize the pipeline while revitalizing the PAR brand with top tier talents such as Abrams. I love trains. You have no idea what you're saying at this point. Warp 5. He can put her mind at ease about these kinds of things because he can just, you know, you know how Trip is. Like, you know, let's have some catfish and, like, just hang out. (laughs) Continuing mission. We actually spoke with uh, CBS legal team, and uh, that was one of the things that we that we had told him is that we all of our visuals were all original scenes all of our animation was going to be original all of our music would be original so we would not be stealing any content from the original era mm-hmm. and and they liked that a lot literary tricks and i just love that because it is very true you know picard in some ways kind of has that yodaness about him where he will kind of speak in a riddle and he wants you to figure it out and that's what else is happening on trek.fm So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We talk about Star Trek every single day of the week here on the network. New shows for you every day, and you can find them everywhere that you get your podcasts. Just search for Trek.film or the name of the show that you'd like to listen to, and you'll find us. Also, grab the Master Feed. The Trek of Film Complete Master Feed contains every episode of every show that we do, and we also sometimes put other special audio in that feed that's only available there. It's a great way to sample all of these different shows and find out what's happening on shows that you don't subscribe to currently. While you're getting your podcasts in places like iTunes or Stitcher, we would love for you to take a moment and review Warp 5 and all of our other shows. It really does help other fans find the show, and also we love to hear what you think about what we're doing here on the network. 
Speaking of reviews, we have a couple of new ones to read for you. ETNSKVL left us a review in the U.S. iTunes store, five stars, and said, With Enterprise being one of my favorite of the series, I welcome the discussion on Warp 5 of the what-ifs, the could-have-beens. It's pleasant to hear what was scheduled for the show so that it can be added to my headcanon. Well, I am glad you use the term headcanon because that's something that I use often. It's something we talk about a lot here on Trek FM. And it's just, you know, all those little things about Star Trek that may not be exactly what happened on screen. It's often fill in the blanks. One of the big ones for me is how did Kira and Dukat get Breen uniforms in DS9 when no one's ever seen a Breen and lived to tell about it? And in my head canon, those two Breen were in the shower, and Kira and Dukat snagged their refrigeration suits while they were in there. That's head canon. So I love hearing the term. So thanks so much for that review. And also we have one from Aslan16, and they gave us five stars and said, What a trip! This is the best Enterprise podcast I've heard so far. Very glad to go with you on the journey to the founding of the Federation. Well, thank you so much for that. Now, Enterprise podcasts are rare. I will say that. There aren't many people out there talking about them. But I appreciate the sentiment nonetheless. We do try to bring you the best show that we can here as we discuss topics on the show and speculate like we did today about what it might mean to be a Zindi Aquatic. So thanks so much for that review. For everyone else, it only takes a moment to leave us a review. It really does make a difference for us in how we place in iTunes search results and how other people can find the show. So I would love to hear some more reviews from you. Now, we had a reviews promotion running recently, which is over now. We will be announcing the winners soon. I'm currently gathering all the entries, and there were a lot of them, and pulling those together so that we can do the drawing. And we'll have an announcement on that soon. So thanks to everyone who left his reviews and entered that. If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's show or anything about Enterprise, whatever you want to talk about, there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can go to trek.film slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to me by email. You can also find us on social media. Our username on Twitter is trekfm. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash trekfm. We also have a community on G+, and forums at trek.fm slash forums. And you can send us a voicemail, and I'd love to get a voicemail from you. It's really easy to do. Just look in the left sidebar on the show page on our website, and you'll see the little tool for that. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm, and you can do it there as well. And all you need is the microphone on your web camera or your smartphone or your tablet. And that would be a great way to share your thoughts with us, and maybe we can play some of those voicemails here on the show. If you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter also. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jones. And I have my own website, cbrianjones.com, which I will update a bit sometime soon. And elsewhere on the network, I do a lot of shows. I do The Ready Room, Literary Treks, The Orb, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, Hyper Channel, and also the official Star Trek Axanar podcast, which I co-host with Alec Peters. Tommy, by the way, is part of Axanar as well, doing a lot of work with the green screen compositing on Prelude to Axanar, so you can see his work there too. 
Before I let you go, I would like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They're the best source you're going to find anywhere for audiobooks. I've been a customer for 14 years. I absolutely love them, and I know you will too. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up, you can choose whatever book you like absolutely free. And if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you can cancel and you get to keep that book. So there's nothing to lose. But when you support Audible, it really does help us keep Warp 5 coming to you every week. So if you're not an Audible customer, I mean, obviously you love podcasts, so I know you're going to love audiobooks. If you're not an Audible customer, go and try them out. It's a great way to support the show. And I know you're going to love what you get there. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thanks again to Tommy for dropping by once again today to talk Enterprise with me. And thank you for listening. Join me again next time here in the Decon Chamber for yet another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>